welcome to the Trade Mastermind podcast. This is the Trade Secrets series. I'll be your host, Joseph Valente, and this is the number one podcast for the trade and construction industry. We are the secret to starting, scaling, and growing your trade or construction business. At the Trade Mastermind, my ethos has always been, each one, teach one. Reach back, pull somebody else up. Success leaves clues, and the traits of the rich are what I've spent my life studying. Growing up broke gave me a first to make my life better, and build wealth to look after my mother, my children, and build a future of choices, time, freedom, and luxury. So now I wanna share those secrets and those lessons with you. The lessons I've learned from my network, my connection, my coaches, my mentors, and these individuals are extremely high net worth, multimillionaires and billionaires. I'm giving you the opportunity to apply for the new Millionaire Mastermind. It's one of the most exclusive programs I've ever done and it's a 12 month program that will bring you together once a month with some of the most successful business people in the world. We will meet each month in London at a very exclusive venue to learn from the very best and you get the opportunity to network, to learn, to be coached and be part of something special. This program is very exclusive and is application only. The first guest mentor that I have joining us on the Millionaire Mastermind is the one and only Charlie Mullins, OBE, founder of Pimlico Plumbers. He has a net worth of over a hundred million pounds and he's gonna be there to teach you how to scale, build and exit your business. If you wish to apply to become part of the Millionaire Mastermind, then please go to the description in the podcast. Everything will be in the description. This is the Trade Mastermind. We are the secret to scaling your business. Welcome to the Millionaire Mastermind. Hi, it's Joseph Valente here, and this is another episode of the Trade Mastermind podcast. Today, I have a very, very special guest with me here. Um, he's become a good friend of mine. He's an international best-selling author, multi-millionaire, disruptive entrepreneur, has got one of the biggest podcasts in the world, co-founded the UK's largest property invest, property training business, um, and is just an absolute um, all-round fantastic guy. So Rob, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on. Now, I wanted to hit you um, with a question that you ask a lot of people, and that is, what is the biggest risk you've ever taken, and did it pay off? Um, well, I don't know if any of you are local, but there's a building called News International, which has, has The Sun and all those other newspapers. And I went round that corner like it was a German autobahn, and I put my five-day-old Ferrari through the News International building. <laughs> that was pretty fucking big risk. <laughs> my, my, my business partner and I share cars, so we've got an Aventador and a Testarossa, and we had that, that was a 458, it was quite a few years ago now, and we share the supercars. We have our daily driver's cars and our wives' cars, and we share the supercars, because you don't drive them that much. And um, there's a place 
um, locally that does like little um, panel beating and just, you know, a little bit of repairs. Mm -hmm. And I put my car through the side of the building and I called my business partner and said, I've crashed the car big time. He's like, well, you know, just take it down the panel beat and they'll <laughs> sort it out. And yeah, he came to see it. And I, I'm, I'm, on the, um, I'm on the website, the most expensive crashes in history. I'm on the website for that. So that's my, um, that's my claim to fame. Yeah, just on the verge of writing it off. It was a six-figure repair bill. Um, <laughs> did you do it on purpose? No. <laughs> well, yeah, some people said I did it for PR. Yeah. <laughs> like risk your life and write off a 200 grand Ferrari just to get into the sun. It's easier ways <laughs> to get in the sun. Um, yeah. So I actually think this is, if someone answered this question the way I'm going to answer it, I'd be a bit disappointed. But I'm going to say it anyway. The biggest risk I ever took was not taking any risk, by far. So when I was, I mean, I'm from Peterborough. You know, I've got pissed in this building. I've pissed on the floors in the toilet there, <laughs> missing the toilet. Like, I, like you, I've grown up here. <laughs> and age 15, my dad said, um, they're building properties in Swan Gardens. Go and have a look. You know, you can get on the property ladder. I'm like, well, I'm 15. He's like, well, you know, we'll figure it out. And then age 25, he's like, you should get into property. And he'd been drumming it in me to be an entrepreneur. And I just um, did nothing because I was scared. And um, I guess I probably didn't like millionaires. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought they all dressed like you. <laughs> <laughs> And me, you know. I'm just, I just, no, I just I'm an older version of you now, mate. When you get to my age, you'll fuck the tie off and you'll accept that your belly's coming out of the waistcoat and you'll just wear a T-shirt. Um, but yeah, so the biggest risk I ever took was not starting a business, thinking that that was a risk. Mm -hmm. Working in pubs and bars and working for my dad and thinking that that was less of a risk than starting a business. That was the biggest risk I ever took. I don't go all in, think that's stupid. We diversify our wealth. So I don't know if any of you are local, but we own some quite big apartment buildings around the city centre, but we didn't put all of our money in that. So I don't take these glorified big risks because I think that that's kind of stupid. So the biggest risk I took was not starting my own business when I had a chance when I was 15 and 25. Yeah, um, amazing. And what you just said there is kind of a topic that we've been touching on today is about um, not putting all your money in because everybody here is kind of um, an owner-managed business. So everything that's in their business is their money. Um, and to scale the business to the next level um, and to grow their business, they need um, external investment. So what's your experience with getting external investment and joint venturing? And is it the right thing to do to climb the ladder um, faster and maybe in the right way? What happens if one of my answers completely contradicts everything you've just said all day? Does that matter? No. All right. <laughs> um, I just interviewed a billionaire this morning, as I said to you, and he said his best advice on money is put the company first and keep reinvesting a good amount of your profits back into the company to grow the company and put the company before you. That was his advice. Mm -hmm. And he's a billionaire, and I'm not yet a billionaire, so I'm taking notes on that. Um, so in, in some regard, 
I think that you shouldn't overly draw out of your company and I think a good amount of your profit should be reinvested to grow the business. So my business partner and I, we work on about a 40% draw, 60% retain. It used to be 50-50, but you know, post-COVID things have you know, got, maybe we're slightly more cautious now. And what I mean by that is, our drawings policy is, um, of the net profit, 60% gets retained, which means it stays in the business as capital, that we may reinvest into growth, marketing, hiring, scaling, whatever. And then 40% we draw, 20% each. So 20%, 20% we draw, 60 stays in for reinvestment, liquidity, cash flow. I think you need a little bit more cash right now than you might have needed before. Obviously you guys, the supplies to you and the supplies out have gone up a hell of a lot. So you've got to factor all that in. Um, so the challenge when growing your business is, um, you want to live off this business and it pay you well, but the more you draw out of it, the less you can reinvest back into it to grow. Um, so that's, but that's, that's the same for every business. But then people say, why don't you get external investment? But essentially it's the same thing. Because let's say you get an external investment and you give away a third of your company, well a third of your drawings ongoing forever are going to that investor. So whichever way you skin it, there's a cost there or a sacrifice or a slower of growth. My business partner is very risk averse. Um, and even though we did a 99 apartment block just down the road there and a 42 apartment block next to it and a 42 apartment block next to it and a 24 next to it, literally, you can walk within two minutes of 220 units I own in this city, even though we've done that. And in this city, that looks like quite um, bold and, and big moves. He's, we've probably not risked even 20% of our wealth to do that. And even though we did that, it got really hairy through the lockdown when maybe the, sh the site was going to have to be shut down and we've got seven figures overhead on the contracts and the staff and everything else. So that being said, we've never taken external investment. Mm -hmm. Never. Um, I, I, the thing but is, do you joint venture to fund the projects? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, the first 50 deals I did were all no money down, mm -hmm. all with his money. Yeah. So we started his money, then I real he got pissed one night in, do you remember the bar back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the bar, he got, I did, I'd only known him a couple or three months. Um, and I knew he had a bit of money, but he, he never flaunted it. Like he had something like 14 properties and he still lived with his mum in this little, like, room. Um, and he told me how many properties, I'm like, get your own fucking place. Um, and so he got his own place, nice low rent. And then um, I remember we went out and got really pissed and he told me, he accidentally told me how much money he had and he regretted it the next day. Because that year we did 20 property deals, all of his money, none of mine. And then the next year we did another 30 property deals, deals all of his money, money none of mine. Um, and then after about 50 deals, he was like, Rob, I haven't got any more money. So I said, well, what about your mum? <laughs> So then we did a load of deals with his mum's money and then he's like, she's, she's got no more fucking money. I said, what about your stepdad? And so we did a load of deals with his stepdad. Our offices, mm -hmm. we've got 10,000 square foot of office. They were all funded by Mark's um, stepdad. And by the way, we paid him 12% return on the money. So yeah, to build a portfolio and buy property, you can do joint ventures with people where mm -hmm. they fund it and you manage it, source it, develop it. I mean, a big thing in the building trade is JV with the builder. Mm. So you could do, you know, you could be the builder and that, that could be your equity. 
and then they put in the money to buy it and your equity is you know, your development or your refurbishment depending on the, the scale of the project. So uh, like in theory, every single one of the 1,550 tenant units I have has been no money down because mm. it started with no money down. But I've never sold any shares of my company and I'd probably say to people who are starting out, try and hustle first. Mm. Try and um, scale through cash flow. Make some sales, put the sales cash back into the business and grow through sales rather than giving shares away. Thank you, great advice. What really excites me about what Rob's just said there is what I've been telling you guys today, it's all about the network. Right, Your network is your net worth. And when you come to an event like this, it's the people that you meet. Now, the man that Rob's just described that created all of that opportunity, or Rob created the opportunity by meeting this man, um, Rob met him Holiday at a ne- networking event. The Holiday Inn near the police station. In Can you tell us the story of how you met Mark Homer? That Holman? should have been an unrelated yeah. statement. <laughs> Holiday Inn, longer pause, near the police station. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question, mate? Can you tell the guys here the story of meeting Mark Homer, yeah? And how it came from a networking event, because I'm trying to push them to get around um, high net worths and getting a millionaire network. Yeah, so um, I was quite fortunate because it was the first networking event I went to. So I was nearly 26, and um, I was an artist back then used to have a couple of galleries here that used to hang my work up and I I couldn't make much money out of it. Um, And on December the 15th, 2005, I was 50 grand in debt. My dad had put me through private school, university, bought my first car, helped me buy my first house and I was in a load of debt and quite frankly, a bit of a loser. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like rich people. I thought they were all wankers. Um, which is what a lot of people call me now. So <laughs> I've become what I hated. <laughs> and, but it was nothing to do with them. I didn't know any rich people. It was all to do with my own insecurities and the hatred I had for myself. And actually, I did want to be rich. Like, who doesn't want to be rich? Um, but you don't want to admit it. Um, so I'd got myself into a bit of shit. And I've really... I couldn't put it into words how I felt about my life other than the fact that I was this tense ball of resentment and bitterness and jealous, jealousy and envy. But I couldn't get out of the um, trap that I'd got myself in, which was a lot of debt. I wasn't earning enough money even to pay off the interest on the debt. Anyway, December the 15th, 2005, the Royal Arms Pub, which again is just a mile or two down the road, or it was, um, was my dad's pub. And he was, we had a you know, busy room like this full of his customers. He just had a massive nervous breakdown in front of everyone. He just started screaming and squealing and spitting and his eyes rolled around the back of his head and it was like he was possessed. And I got him out the front of the pub and, Dad! And he was gone. I couldn't get through to him. And he's like 16 stone and I must have been 10 stone at the time. And someone had called the police because he had a carving knife because he was carving and the police rushed up and two policemen got out and they beat the fuck out of him in front of all of our customers and my mum and my sister. They had these batons that they smashed him to the floor with and they sectioned him, arrested him in Ward 5 of the old PDH hospital. And they wouldn't let us in for about three or four months. And he was diagnosed with bipolar, manic depression. And 
Like my dad had always been my hero and he'd always given me these opportunities and I'd always squandered them all. I sort of failed everything, but I got good enough to just not be shit, but then I failed at it. And that was my repeat pattern. And I spent a few weeks beating myself up and I hated myself and I probably didn't even leave the house and I didn't know what I was gonna do. And then I went into a, one of the galleries of the two in Peterborough that were hanging my work and went to see him. His name's Mike, have you sold any of my work? No, sorry Rob, but you know, maybe next week. And he said, what's up? And I told him, and he's like, I know what you need to do. You need to get into property. And he said, there's a networking meeting happening in the Holiday Inn, go. I've been telling you this for a year. My dad had been telling me this for 10 years. And I guess because I was at a stage of vulnerability and what have I got to lose, I went. And I hated it. I went on my push bike, because I'd, I'd had to sell my car. Um, I didn't fit in. You know, the fun boy spiky hair off at 90 degree angle. Um, I didn't fit in at all. I didn't want to be there. I thought the speaker, I couldn't decide if he was rich and successful or an arrogant prick. Um, <laughs> maybe they're thinking that about us. <laughs> and I was one of those sceptical people. This is all fucking bullshit. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. The whole time. Anyway, I was about to leave and I could hear in my ear, Mike said, because he said to me, when you go, don't just leave. Speak to people. So I went in the bar and nervously spoke to people and I went around everyone in the end and I sat at the bar at the end and the last guy I spoke to is my business partner today. I've been his business partner for 16 years. We've made, like, I don't want to sound cocky, but you probably would want to know, but we've made more than a hundred million pounds together. And that's quite rare from Peterborough. Um, I think one of the Eurasia guys was from Peterborough and one from JLS, but normally, you're destined to fail if you're born in Peterborough. It's like, you ain't coming out alive, let alone with a hundred million quid. Can we just give him a round of applause for that, please? Thank you. And Neville as well. We've got Neville, haven't we? Yeah. Um, so that's how I met him. By I didn't just come to the networking event. I came really fucking uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because some people in this room will love this environment and some are probably not that comfortable with that was me. And I made sure I spoke to everyone. The networking isn't done until the whole room's just about empty. And you've spoken to just about everyone. That's, what, that's when it's done. So yeah, that's how it all started. Okay, amazing. Good stuff. Um, next question then, off the um, back of that, is you became a property investor and then you saw an opportunity to teach people um, the blueprint of the success that you'd created. So then you went into training and development and everybody here knows um, progressive property yeah, and, and what you've been able to achieve there. Um, you've trained and mentored thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But I want to ask you, um, who's been your biggest mentor and influence in your life? From a, like a success personal development business world mentor, and I know you've had oh, lots of You don't want me to say my mum and dad, like no, everyone says, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> or my wife or my kids. Yeah, see what you did there. Um, I don't know if anyone in this room knows this man, but his name is John Demartini, Dr. John Demartini. So 
I'm fortunate enough that I've learned from 100 millionaires and billionaires, and I also got in a room with these people when I was a zero heir. Because now I get to meet billionaires on a regular basis and pe people worth crazy money. And it's a bit easier now, but you know, when you're a zero heir, that's harder. But James Carr mentored me for a while from Dragon's Den back in 2010. We got Andreas Paniotu who helped us out with some mentoring. He's a billionaire in property. And this was, again, it was probably pre-2010. So I'm really grateful to people like that because there were so many leagues ahead that um, it was just really inspiring. But the guy who's taught me the most is Dr. John Demartini. And I couldn't do it justice, so I'll try and keep the answer to a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. Feel free to interrupt me. Mm -hmm. I have the world record for the longest speech, as you know. <laughs> so um, I'd done a load of personal development and Tony Robbins and gone into the room as the skeptical Brit at the back thinking, I'm not fucking hugging anyone and you can fuck off with that high five. <laughs> and then at the end of, end of that freaking weekend, you're hugging, clapping, high-fiving, kissing and shagging everyone at the event. Because Tony Robbins can do that to you. And I've gone through that personal development world and I sort of loved it. But sometimes it's hype and you can't always be positive. If your kid got knocked over by a car in front of you there, you ain't going to be positive about that. And so I, I sort of went on that journey and felt a bit lost. And of course, from Peterborough, most people aren't even, they don't even know what personal development is and they've not done that kind of thing. Um, and so that you, you find it's a little bit more insular and negative. And then I stumbled upon Dr. John Martini, who basically said, everything in life has equal upside and downside. And when you can see simultaneously the upside and downside in any situation, you have this wisdom of balanced, regulated emotion. And it took me a long time to really take that on board because when you win, you see upside. When you lose, you see downside. When you're elated, you see upside. When you're depressed, you see downside. But I'm quite an emotional guy. I'm a bit up and down. I'm excitable. And because of that, I can get quite depressed. I know it's a male thing as well, but I would get pretty fucking depressed. And I'd never tell anyone about it because I was too embarrassed. Um, but now, what John has taught me is that every single situation, event, and anything that happens in your life has an, a simultaneous equal amount of upsides and downsides. You know, if you look at everything in life, a magnet has a plus and a minus. There's a male and a female. There's a left and a right. There's an up and a down. There's a chaos and an order. Everything kind of exists in these opposites. There's space and time. And the reason, Joe, why this was immensely profound, immensely profound, is because you have the ability to bring yourself down from when you're being... Like, I was so elated. My son had just got a hole in one. He was three years old. He broke the world record for the youngest person to ever get a hole in one. 35, 40 minutes later, I put my Ferrari through News International building <laughs> because I just thought I was just so excited. I was elated. And so I see that as feedback and as a, a leveler. So often when you're high, you make really bad decisions. You think you're happy, but you make your worst business. And I mean, you definitely make your worst relationship situation, you know, decisions when you're really fucking elated. We've all done it. Fuck, why, never make a promise when you're elated. That's what they say. So 
elation is all upside and depression is all downside. And he taught me that actually that, that, that's, that's a human emotion tricking you into seeing one side of a balanced equation. And actually everything has an upside and a downside. And why that's really helped me is anything that happens that pisses me off, I'm like, what's the upside? And you, you immediately find it. You immediately just find it. Um, and that helps you. What's, what's the upside of lockdown? Well, actually, if we all sat here for five minutes and talked about it, we could think of a lot of upsides of lockdown. But we couldn't at the time, because we thought it was all bad. But um, maybe you got clients online. Maybe you decided to start an information business. Maybe you spent more time with your kids. Um, I mean, lockdown in some ways, Joe, was one of the best things that happened for an entrepreneur because you only get a lesson like that every 100 years. Like, there's a pandemic or a lockdown every 100 years. I feel blessed that we got one at this stage of my life where I got that kind of lesson to be an entrepreneur because if you can survive and thrive in a lockdown, you are a very well-armed entrepreneur to survive other things that are going to be a lot smaller. What was the biggest lesson that you learned, would you say, in lockdown? The one well, thing. what lockdown taught me was that I should have done what I'd been planning for five years for those five years. Mm -hmm. So for five years before lockdown, I was planning to take progressive property to the global stage. And... Um, in my ear was, let's do it slowly. And let, I don't want to go to Australia and America and other countries around the world when I've got two children and set up an office and have overhead and staff. And I, I didn't want to do that. I thought I could put a lot of stress on the business. I could have put a lot of money on the overhead. And then I thought, well, I don't think you can get the same experience running events online as you can in, in, the, in the room like this. It's not networking, the energy, you don't meet the people. I'm all about that more than... <laughs> um, so every year I was like, I'll do that next year, 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 I'll do that next year. I probably never would have done it. And then COVID, pandemic, fuck, I'm doing it tomorrow. And I did it tomorrow. And do you know, it would normally take nine months to a year to write a course. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do things properly and diligently. It would normally take us nine months to a year to write a really good course. We wrote one a week for nine weeks and they were good because of the fear of lockdown. Mm. Um, we had probably pushing 100 staff back then. And um, I always thought the one thing I'd never be able to do in business is just get rid of everyone. I just didn't know if I had the stomach for that. Lockdown taught me, you know, if I have to save the ship, I'll get everyone in the engine room and let go of everyone else. Um, Did you have to make a lot of redundancies well, or a lot of firing? We sat in the kitchen with nearly 100 names on a spreadsheet, me, my business partner, my MD, and we basically went, let them go, keep them, <coughs> let them go, keep them. Let, and I just didn't know if I had the stomach to do that because I'm quite... I've learned, business has taught me to be harder, but I'm naturally quite a, a soft person. But I know I could do that now, which I didn't know then. I know I can scale globally. Well, we have scaled um, globally now. Um, we run online events on a regular basis. Um, 
So I, I could go on and on. And From on that, then, how important is it? Because we've been talking about decision making and the inability to make a decision um, a lot of time misses opportunity. So you have to, in business, make decisions fast, sometimes for positive reasons and sometimes to save the ship, as you, as you said. So are you a quick decision maker? Yeah, I'm a very quick decision and maker. And is it like 0.01 second? Is it a couple of seconds? Is it a day? Like I've, how never, quick? I've never got a stopwatch out. Yeah. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> I've never timed it, but... <laughs> but are you are you confident now in your ability to make a fast decision? I would say to the guys here, Lord Sugar said to me, Joseph, if you want to be super wealthy, you need to make a hundred thousand pound decision in three seconds. Because when I first went into business with him, he was like, Well, are we doing this? Are we doing that? And I was like, Dunno, we could do a bit of this, we could do a little bit of that. And actually that procrastination on and the ability to not make a decision was what was holding me back. And now sometimes, or well, most of the time, I'll just make a decision. And I know that sometimes I'll get it wrong, but I've got the confidence in most cases that I'm making the right call. Right. So um the accurate answer to that mm -hmm. question is it depends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a decision to be successful, a decision to start a part-time business, you should be making them quicker. Mm. A decision to buy a 135,000 square foot building, if you make that decision in three seconds, yeah. you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I, what Lord Sugar was probably saying was, mm. you decide to work with him and be successful. Yeah. So, um, I, I think in some ways we are probably quite similar. My, my tendency is to make quick decisions, but here's what you have to be careful of. Are you making quick decisions because you can't be fucked to do the research and the diligence that's required? Mm. Or you're triggered and you just want these things decided. I know sometimes I've gone, fuck it, let's do it. Just because I wanted them to piss off and leave me alone. Mm. Or I just, I've got 58 decisions to make a day, I need to get some of these done. Mm. That's actually a really dumbass way of making decisions. Sometimes I've learned I have to slow my decision making down. Like if you get an email and it triggers you and you decide to reply to that, you're gonna regret that the next mm. day. So it depends on the type of person. So if anyone in the room takes freaking ages to decide what color socks to put on in the morning, you need to do a bit more of what Joe's talking about. But if you're the kind of person that just overanalyzes over everything, you need to learn some quick decision making. So it's contextual, Joe. Um, I, like you though, the reason I have confidence to make quick decisions is because I have confidence to repair the decision if it ends up being wrong, and I back myself to get there in the end, Great even if I don't quite make that first decision right. The next thing you've got to think about is, if I make this quick decision, is it going to help? Mm. So in some, like sometimes my staff have been doing things for months and I just think they just need me to go do that because that will just stop months of messing about and mm -hmm. friction. But other times, actually, you need to explore further and deeper and take more time and sleep on it and speak to people and get wise counsel. So... Um, yeah, that's my answer. Excellent. Now, I know you've been involved in the personal development world now for how many years? 16. And I know that you trained your... I mean, give me a figure of how much you've spent on personal development. Invested. And invested, yes. But yeah, invested. 
or, and also give me a figure on how many hours you've invested. So what's the pound figure do you believe over the years you've paid on your personal development? Right. And then what's the hour invested? So the pound figure, I stopped counting at 1.2 million. Yeah. So 1.2 million on courses, masterminds, mentorships for me, and then my staff when I started investing in them and I stopped counting quite a few years ago. Because what's the point? <laughs> um, in terms of time, I stopped counting how many books I'd read or listened to when I got to 3,000. Because mm -hmm. <clears throat> why am I counting? What am I trying to prove here? Um, just like my net worth, I, I track it to a certain degree, but I check it once a year and I stop counting stroke caring when it was more than 10 million. Um, so I believe you are your best asset. So invest in yourself wisely because you will pay yourself your best return. And I am always looking for the next level mastermind, the next level mentoring. I'm always, I know that if I invest in a course or a mentor, I just interviewed Paul McKenna the um, day before yesterday. He was fucking brilliant, by the way. Sometimes people, when you interview them, you're like, Sometimes they exceed your expectations and sometimes they don't. And he exceeded my expectations. He's got a seven-day course coming up on the success mindset. As long as I can take that time off, because it's quite a lot of time for me, I'm going. Now, I did a course like that 16 years ago, but that was a long time ago and I was in a different place. And to spend, in fact, it's only two and a half grand, the course. What's going to cost me way more is the time. Mm. Um, but I've just, the, the thought of investing money in myself to get me more wise, more balanced, better making decisions, better overcoming challenges, better at fixing problems, you know, blah, blah, blah. The thought of that, that's the best use of money ever, surely. That's my view. Like, how, how can anyone grow a better business if they're not trying to grow a better them, a better you? Your business can only grow at the speed that you grow. And I agree with that. Let's say, for example, you've, you've got anger management issues, which I, I had. If you've got 20 staff and you've got anger management issues, in three months, you've got no fucking staff. See a few people here smirking going, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I mean, in your trade as well, I'm sure. It's just like, you sit there and you look at someone, and you, in your mind, you are screaming, what the fuck are you doing? Like, most staff don't even pretend, pretend to get off social media. Your staff probably don't even pretend to work. They're not even pretending. And in your mind, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And then you're thinking, I'm paying you to do fuck all. And then I will have to do your job and pay you to do fuck all. <laughs> and then you've got to pay tax and national insurance on those fuckers. <laughs> But you can't say it. Because <laughs> if you do, you've lost. And I, my, I still say that in my head. I just don't say that to people. I said, occasionally say it on a podcast. Um, so I learned to communicate better. Like in your trade, if you learn to communicate well, you're already way above your competitors. Learn to communicate well. Learn to sell well, but sell vision and idea and influence, not just product. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, you are your best investment. So I asked that question strategically because I knew what the answer was going to be. Um, and today really is all about these guys getting an opportunity to be around um, very successful people. And um, we've also offered everybody in the room the opportunity to join our 12-month millionaire mastermind. Now, Rob spent 1.2 million on personal development. And I know people in the room, existing customers of ours, have invested with us. And when we propose a new opportunity, the reason I do that is because there's always, as Robert said, the next mastermind, the next mentoring, the next opportunity to level up. And he echoed exactly what I said just before um, we broke up for lunch, right? And if somebody of Rob's status, right, is continuing to look for personal development and opportunities to become better and investing in yourselves, then this is what this whole thing is about. And it's success leaves clues, yeah? Look at what the success will have done. You better pay me a commission. <laughs> <laughs> if we make any sales. <laughs> um, success leaves clues. And, um, and it's, it's studying um, the secrets of the rich that I'm trying to get across um, in this concept Can of I add, the millionaire master. Yes, please. Because don't, people don't think about this. The cheapest mistake is a mistake that you learn from someone else when they did it. Hmm. Like, let me ask you this. You know, the experience of prison probably be quite an interesting experience. Would you, would you like to go to prison for 20 years to learn the experience? Or speak to someone who's been inside for 20 years and get the, you know, the shorter version? <laughs> cool, no, no, but like, peop, like in England, it's like you've got to make the mistakes yourself. You've got to do the job yourself before you hire out. I've never painted a wall. And yet I own hundreds of properties. You don't have to do it yourself. I would far rather learn the mistakes vicariously through other people who've made, like going bust. One of my greatest fears is to go bust because I have a brand now where thousands of my haters would love that. Um, I don't want to learn to go bust by going bust. Apparently it makes you a better entrepreneur. In America, it makes you more investable. Fuck that, I don't ever want to go bust. <laughs> I'll learn from you. You've been bust six fucking times. Tell me, what, tell me what it's like. Good, don't want to do that. Never do that. That's the best way to learn, isn't it though? Well, it's actually, I've leveraged that in my journey. As you know, what happened to me um, with Impra um, and losing that business that I'd created. I've said to everybody in the trade mastermind since day one, right? Success is easy to a level, right? But it's when you fall is where a lot of the lessons are learned. And um, you do not want to go on the journey that I had to go on at 30 years of age. It was horrendous. Yep, and I've got a brand and my haters came out in the thousands just like yours would. Um, and I, the, the thing that pisses me off the most is I gave them the satisfaction that they wanted for so many years to see me lose. But also um, now, um, you know, it's allowed me to help thousands and thousands of businesses to not make those same mistakes. So um, every cloud has a silver lining. Um, I would say, but Ooh. it's definitely much better if you can avoid it for Ooh. sure. Um, uh, so my next question, Rob, is to the small business owners in the room um, that are um, doing well within their businesses that want to build the wealth, and everybody here does because the concept is millionaire mastermind. What do you think is um, the move from small business owner to building wealth? Do you try and continue to build the same business to the best it can be? Or do you diversify into other streams of income? I know one of your books is multiple streams of property income. So could you talk to us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, okay. So 
I think building wealth in the monetary sense is about having assets that produce income that cover your overhead and more. So you can earn a lot of money and next month you don't get some invoices paid and you haven't got a lot of money. So for me, wealth in the form of monetary wealth, because there's other forms of wealth, comes when you've got assets that are unbreakable and unshakable and will continue, continue to pay you residual income. So the 99 apartment block we've got in town, it's called um, Aspect House. It'll, it makes about 1.3 million a year gross. And we haven't got massive debt on it. And even with inflation like it is, it's still gonna pay a lot, a lot of money. That one building gives us intergenerational wealth. Whereas I can have some months I've had many months where I make more money than that building makes us. But can I make it every month, every month, every month? Because business can be a bit feast or famine, especially if you're um, you know, a retail or physical business and then you get locked down. So wealth is assets. That would be the one word answer. Now, um, I've gone on this journey where I just didn't want to be broke and I didn't want to hate people when I was 26. And then we started by investing in property. And I thought, well, I'll be a property investor. And I realized the property investing side, once you build the assets, it's great, but it doesn't fulfill a purpose. Because you know, if you had 10 million in the stock market and you were earning 500 grand a year, the money would be nice, but that wouldn't fulfill purpose. You know, what you want to do with your life and who you want to become. That's just money. Now, money can fuel purpose, but it doesn't fulfill purpose. So as I built my business, the businesses are the purpose. And I've, of course, diversified into writing books and podcasts. And you know, I've got two million followers nearly now on um, social media and my database and the content side of the world and trying to keep up with all the, you know, the young kids. Um, and that's purpose, and it makes money. And then there's assets that builds, builds wealth. And I think you've got to go linear and focus to become wealthy. And then you've got to diversify to remain wealthy. And becoming wealthy and remaining wealthy are actually different. There's a lot of hustlers that can become wealthy, lose it, become wealthy, lose it, become wealthy, lose it, become wealthy, lose it. People like Warren Buffett can remain wealthy and build wealth for a long period of time. And my business partner is better at remaining wealthy and I'm better at becoming wealthy. And we've sort of taught each other. So um, I'm pretty good um, when there's something to prove or starting something and building something fast. And he's good at diligence and research and building things to be bigger and bigger once they're set. So yeah, that would be assets is what it's all about if you want real wealth. Amazing, great answer, thank you. Okay, cool, so next. Um, what do you believe are the habits of highly successful people? It depends on how highly successful you mean. Because if you want to be a millionaire, a decamillionaire, a hundred millionaire, or a billionaire, I think the habits are different. Mm. So, like, a zero heir probably follows the rules. No, in fact, the zero air probably doesn't even know the rules. Like, they don't, 
know the rules of business. They don't know the rules of tax and accounting. So zero air doesn't even know the rules. A millionaire learns the rules. A hundred millionaire breaks the rules. And a billionaire fucking makes the rules. <laughs> and I'm good at breaking rules, but I am not making any yet. But I can tell you some of the billionaires I've met, they're making the rules. They're doing the donations to the Conservative Party. They're, you know, and it's not right or wrong, it's just how it is. Because in society, you're always going to have people at the top that make the rules. The government make the rules. So the traits, I mean, if you want to make the rules and you want to be a billionaire, you have to be absolutely delusional about your vision. Because, like, Elon Musk getting people to Mars with them paying £100,000 per trip. Yeah, he's like, well, we won't do it yet, but we will do it. And that's pretty delusional. But he'll do it. Um, I think you have to be absolutely immune to criticism. If, if you want to be big, let, I, know, I know you're like, you, you're a go big or go home kind of guy, Joe. I know you are. So I'll, I'll answer it in that regard. So let's assume you want to be big. Biggest in your town, biggest in your city. You just want to be successful. So number one is you have to be pretty deluded. And actually, if a lot of people who are broke tell me I can't do it and I shouldn't do it, it's normally a sign that I should. So you have to be a bit of a contrarian and a rebel. Thankfully, I was at school a bit of a rebel. So that sort of helped in a way. Um, so... And you've got to be absolutely immune to criticism. Now, by immune, I mean, if someone says something and it's useful, take it. Ah, oh, fuck off, you hater. No, 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 that might have been a useful comment. So take the useful bits, and then everything else you either have to block, delete, or, you know, sometimes have a bit of a banter with them or whatever, but not let it get through. What did someone call me yesterday? It wasn't cunt, but it usually is. Um, I don't think I've said that word on a podcast, so you can keep that in. You've got some unique content from Rob there. Um, I, I get that one. The, um, the biggest doom monger in Europe. Someone called me that. I've been making millions out of the bad news from the government, so I thought, well, to a certain degree, you might have some, a good point there, but I quite like that. I've been called a bitch licker, a dick rider. I've not done either of those. Um, it's all part of the game. I love it. Yeah. And when I was 25, I couldn't take any criticism. I was just scared of it. Like if anyone said anything about my art, I'd just go and hide for a week and hate myself. Um, I know when I come and do these talks, I know there's going to be 10, 20% of the audience that are going to, at the end, say, well, he was a twat. Um, and I, I used to be so scared of that that I just used to be so vanilla and try and please everyone. But when you're vanilla and try and please everyone, you, you forget who you are. And I, I will leave this room today and... Actually, I have never said the C word on a podcast. I've been done hundreds, so I'll probably regret that. <laughs> um, but other than that, I'll feel like... I mean, you know me, and this is, you'd, yeah. pro you'd probably attest to the, to the guys to say, yeah, I'm kind of like this mm. normally. And, to be yourself is actually pretty fucking hard. You want to be yourself on social media, but what if you get a load of haters? 
you've got a business and staff and you want to you represent your company well, so you've got a brand and, you know, what if you don't do that well? And um, there's a lot of pressure on social media and everywhere to be a certain, well, you can't say that. My business partner d didn't know what non-binary meant in the um, sexual sense. And I was educating him on that. Um, and he's like, what the fuck is that all about? I'm like, Matt, don't go on social media and say that. You'll get eaten. You can't say anything. Um, but I do. And um, so uh, maybe I think this will be the third point. Mm -hmm. So there's the, there's the delusion and the contrarianism. There's the thick-skinned nature of taking criticism. And then there is be unapologetically yourself. Like there's been times where people have said, Rob, you can't wear this. You need a shirt and a suit. Fuck off then. This is what I want to wear. You can't say this. Fuck off then. Because this is how I want to talk. And the people are trying to change me. Like I did a TV show. It's just been seen by the head of Channel 5, so it might come off. And they kept scripting me. I'm like, if you keep scripting me, I will leave and I will not do this show. Because I am me and you wanted me on your show because I am me. And now you're trying to give me these quips and these scripts. No, I am me and that's okay. And I've done 1.2 million pounds worth of personal development to try and find out who I am and it's not always that easy to find out who you are when everyone's got a fucking opinion of who you are how you should be and how you should dress and what you should say you've seen Pingu but other than that I'm a pretty happy chap <laughs> um, it, it reminds me of a quote that I heard on Coach Carter you've everybody seen the film Coach Carter yeah. put your hands up I'm going to try and remember a little bit of it, okay? And it's, your playing small does not serve the world. It is your light, not your... No, it's um, our light, not our darkness, that most frightened us. Your playing small does not serve the world. Um, and um, I've known Rob for about 10 years. Um, and being younger than Rob, Rob's a guy um, that I really look up to. You know, and um, recently joined his mastermind over the last couple of years, and he's mentored me. And just watching his journey is very, very inspirational for me. You know, I've seen what you've been able to achieve and the journey that you've gone on, and the people that you now surround yourself with, and the stuff that you do. And it's very, very inspirational. So, you know, when you're putting yourself out there to the level that you are, it almost gives people like me and everybody in the room the permission to become themselves as well um, and feel that it's okay. So, I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Sh should we edit out the C word? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk after. No, no I'll give you I'm only joking. Of course I'll keep it in. Um, Unique content. Um, just one thing, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> he wants views. Yeah. Um, you don't need, no one needs my permission or anyone else's mm. permission to be themselves. They only need their own permission. That's all we need, our own permission. See, one of the things John Martini taught me. Everything has an equal upside and downside. So I remember um, asking him, do you set goals? And he says, no, well, when I set goals, I think about the upsides and downsides of my decisions. And what's a goal? A goal is just upside. I'm going to be a millionaire. Actually, the real goal should be, I'm going to be a millionaire, and I'm going to take all the downsides that come my way in becoming a millionaire, because there are plenty of downsides. Um, so people will judge you anyway, 
People will hate about you what's great about you anyway, anyway. So no matter who you pretend to be in the world to avoid the criticism, someone will do it anyway. So you might as well be yourself. Great answer. It, it wasn't a question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what a great statement. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I've got two more questions. Um, so the first one is, um, out of all the people that you've interviewed, okay, and you've interviewed some titans, who was your um, most favourite guest to interview? Not what you've learned the most from, but the most favourite guest to interview. And then second to that is, um, out of those people, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from one of those guests that you've interviewed? I've interviewed people in all walks of life everywhere. The biggest actress in Game of Thrones, Caitlyn Jenner, the most famous transsexual, who's obviously a parent of the Kardashians and the Jenners, huge name. Uh, we are 99% agreed. I've got Simon Cowell coming on the show. I've got so, you know, the top sports people in the world, like Ronnie O'Sullivan, 20 billionaires. So that question's really hard. Mm. And actually, I've done nearly a 1,000 episodes, so I've probably even forgotten a load of legends. Um, I'll tell you the thing I've learned the most. And um, more and more people are saying this, and I, I, be kind. So it, often in the world of business, you, you're not taught about kindness. Um, but as you know, Joe... Um, I was supposed to be here in the morning mm -hmm. and there was a clash with my diary and someone messed it up and it weren't me because I don't manage my diary. Didn't say anything to anyone. Just sorted you out, sorted the other appointment out I had. I went down and as soon as I knew I could probably get back and do this with you, I messaged you and said, look, if you still want me, I'll come and do it. Even though, you know, I've had a pretty long day, been up since half five. Mm -hmm. Because I think that goes a long way. Massively. Um, and actually, it costs nothing to be kind. And here's the thing, I think the old myth was that if you wanted to be successful in business, you have, have to be ruthless. And you have to be a bit of a bastard, or you have to be cold and callous. I think you can be strong and decisive and be kind. You can fire someone kindly. You can reply to a critic kindly. I'm not talking about being soft. There's a big frickin' difference. But more and more of my guests have been saying about kindness. And actually, everyone's got some shit going on. So I, I, like, I'm working on that a lot. Because mm. when you're in business and you get 150 problems a day, which are solvable by your team, but they haven't solved them, and stupid things happen that shouldn't happen, and people make silly mistakes, your brain can go into the default mode of what the fuck, instead of being kind and thinking about you know, them. So it's really important. That'd be the first thing. Um, in terms of the best guest, now, uh, this depends what you mean. If you mean the guest that fucked everyone off, it was Katie Hopkins. Um, at, the, at the time, I wanted to fuck everyone off. Well, not everyone. I wanted to fuck a few people off because the fucked off people talk. A lot of your fans just, your fans listen, they love you, and 90% of them say nothing. But if they're really fucked, they could, they're listen, you know, they've never given you any good feedback in 932 years, and then you fuck them off. And then they're on, commenting, reviewing, trolling. And so I, I, I'm at the stage now again, I need a guest to fuck everyone off. Because every 
one to two years, it just, it just, I don't know if any of you know who Alex Jones is. It's all over the media yeah. right now. He's just been sued for 50 million. He said some outrageous shit. He's probably the most controversial person on the planet. I've got his phone number and I'm just agreeing a, an interview with him. Oh, wow. It hasn't happened yet, but I can show you my phone. That's going to fuck a lot of people off. <laughs> and I, I'm going to do it in a respectful way because some of the things he said are fucking ridiculous and I will make that point proven. Um, so my favourite guests for fucking people off and shaking shit up and getting everyone talking were David Icke and Katie Hopkins. By a mile. David, I mean, David Icke. Um, legend. Um, my favourite guest in terms of good for the show was Jordan Peterson. Millions yeah. of views. I mean, that guy is an internet phenomenon. Bigger than... Just huge right now. So, um, and it, it, we got him at the right time when he was huge. So I would say... There's a video of yours that says how to sell with him in it and it comes up on my YouTube frequently. Yeah. And every time I see it, it's gone up by a few hundred thousand views yeah. of time. It's climbing. Yeah, that steady. earns us good money as yeah. well. Good. So here's the thing. People think of assets as buildings, mm. but you, good YouTube videos are assets. You know, some of our YouTube videos make us tens of thousands of pounds. So, um, I mean, I've got my own personal favourites, but they're the unheard of ones that I just like. I love interviewing billionaires because they're just very abnormal people. You know, there's a, a, a few thousand of them in the world, so it's fascinating. Mm. I think I've interviewed 20 now. See, yeah. the David Icke episodes that you've done, I love those. I love David Icke. I love listening to his crazy stories. You should get him, I, you should get him <laughs> here. I like He'd <laughs> fuck this shit up for you, wouldn't he? No one would be buying anything of you. <laughs> I like Alex Jones as well. InfoWars, Alex Jones, he's another crazy motherfucker. Oh, um, I'm going to get some haters for that. Yeah. But actually, one thing I will say, never judge someone till you've met them. Yeah. Never. It's easy to judge people when you've not met them. How do you know what you're reading on the media about them is true? Yeah. I've had shit said about me that isn't true. Um, and if you meet them and they're a twat, well then fair enough. But at least you judge yourself. And did you warm to David Icke a little bit? Because I think that you interviewed him and actually you probably respected him when you finished the interview because when you listen to him, he's not unintelligent. Yes, he's got some crazy feelings, but a lot of the stuff that he says, um, especially around the COVID stuff, did come true. So I do think there is a level of respect that you have to give that guy. And do you think that you did warm to him a little um, over that period? And do you respect him? Are you trying to throw me under the bus? No, I'm not. No, 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 no. no. Just <laughs> yeah, we're best mates. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm just playing. Uh, it's difficult because when you interview infamous people, you've got a lot going on. Is the tech and the setup good? Your questions, the rapport, all of that. I mean, you're doing it now, so you know that your brain's in a lot yeah. of areas, isn't mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. So actually really being in the moment of the conversation is one of the hardest parts. And by the way, they're always the best interviews when you're just in the moment of the conversation. And the better you get at interviewing, the more you can be in the moment and, and present. Um, that David Icke said one thing, basically, I would rather die than lie. You know, I'd rather die than um, change my message and you know, hold in what I believe to be true. And I, have, I admire that in some way. I mean, in some ways it's fucking stupid. Just shut up for 10 seconds so you don't die. Um, but I'm sure if there was a bayonet up his nostril, yeah, there's no people, no lizards that live in the moon, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, 
and then go, go live next week when they've gone. Um, so I, I respect his conviction of his beliefs because I think we should all have more conviction about our beliefs than what we stand for because we've all got important things that we can do for the world that are beneficial and sometimes we doubt ourselves or other people get us to doubt ourselves. And I'm natural, I, I don't come from being a confident person. I had to learn confidence. And there's always the little bit of nervousness or imposter or just lack of, should I do this? It just sits there all the time because that was how I grew up as the, a fat kid. I really admire um, his conviction of beliefs. Mm -hmm. He's very articulate. He's very well read. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. One more question. Yeah. And I've heard you ask this to a few people, so I've been desperate to ask you, who runs the world? <laughs> <laughs> the Rothschilds, the New World Order, the Great Reset, Charles Schwab, Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, Bill Gates, the Illuminati, the Cabal, none of them rule the world. You rule the world. Because you can go down a rabbit hole of YouTube where 25 years later your wife fronts are brown, your skin, you've got no family, and you hate the world. Because do you know what? Most of the people I see who are proper conspiracy theorists, they're not happy people. And they haven't really found any proof of all the things they think is a real conspiracy. Now, is there corruption? I'm sure. I know some people who know some people. I don't even dare say the shit that they said to me, just in case. Um, so yeah, there's corruption. And yeah, there's going to be some powerful people in the world. Most of us in this room, if we had all that power, we wouldn't know how to handle it. And we might mm. be tempted to, um, you know, wield that power a bit selfishly. But no one controls your world other than you. If you don't like the media, get off mainstream media and listen to these podcasts. If you don't like what's on the TV, get on Masterminds. If you don't like all the negativity, put positivity in your head. Go and hug someone at a Tony Robbins seminar, just not me. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if you shake people's hand now. I always do this and you get the sort of paper stone effect where they're trying to shake your hand. And, um, you control your world. I really believe that. I actually don't fucking have a clue who actually controls the world. It won't be a person. Um, and actually, the great thing about being an entrepreneur is, if you want to be a millionaire, you can. If you want to be a decker or a hundred millionaire, you can. If you want to build a company of a hundred people and change your city, you can. If you want to change the world, you can. But how are you going to ever do that if you're just, it's not fucking fair, David fucking Ike, Klaus Schwab. You're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> I control how I feel now. Like, I want to say thank you, by the way. Joe, thanks for having me. I'll stay for a Q&A. Thank thanks for, um, you know, being here, whether you vibed with all of it or some of it or none of it. Thank you. And I feel very grateful to be here. And I feel very present. And I can control that. It's all I can control. I'll probably get a parking ticket, can't control that. I'll be very grateful that the traffic warden's got a little commish. 
because I can afford a parking ticket. He needs his commission. I can control that. I saw you guys laying your willies out the front there with your Range Rover Sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can, there's a Honda Civic parked in the end. really pissed you off, hasn't it? <laughs> you, you control your world. If something upsets you, you control how you react to it. So that's my answer. Amazing. Let's give Rob a big, big round of applause. Head over to www.trademastermind.co.uk to find out more or follow us on social media at Trade Mastermind or at Mr. Joseph Valente.